What's up, Beardos? You're listening to episode 148 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to, don't be a jerk. Don't really answer your question first. I not answer your question. I really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talk about beards. Beard, beard, beard. about beards. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I'm Andy. And we are The Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com. And you can always reach us by emailing thebeardvegans at gmail.com. In today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been eating, go over the news, and then ask the question, do you have to be an activist in order to call yourself vegan? Ooh, Paul, you know, this is really interesting because we've had all these discussions about people who are trying to broaden the definition of veganism, and now we're going to have a discussion about someone who wants to narrow the definition of veganism, so... Very controversial. (laughs) yes yes indeed so before we do any of that stuff just a couple of announcements the first is that we put up our august bonus episode for all of our amazing wonderful fantastic patreon backers and this month we did a film review of maximum tolerated dose which is a documentary that focuses all on animal testing and vivisection and basically tells the story of a few folks who were involved in that world and had a change of heart and decided to get out of it and also tells a little bit of the stories of some of the animals that were stuck in that system and thankfully made it out, uh, although some, of course, did not. And I don't know, it was a really interesting film. I thought, Paul, I think that it is very different from almost every other film that we've reviewed. Mm-hmm. So I thought it made for a lively discussion because you and I did not see eye to eye on this one. Which is rare. And wait a second, Andy. Didn't we already put out a bonus episode in August? That's right. We did, Paul. We put out two (laughs) bonus episodes (laughs) in August. We put out a lot of content this month, Paul, and it's kind of destroying me. But also, I feel really great about it at the same time. A lot of sick tent we put out this this August. (laughs) And to make it easier for people to actually find these bonus episodes, because sometimes people who even sign up are like, wait, where are they? Because on our Patreon, people might not know this, every episode that we have is in that feed there. So we're putting the regular new episodes up in there as we're putting up the bonus content. So actually, if you ever have a day when iTunes doesn't feel like it's been uploaded at the, the right time, or there's some glitch, if you head over to our Patreon, you'll probably find the newest episode, maybe, maybe even earlier than anywhere else. But... Yeah, in order to find those bonus episodes easier, I implemented some tabs and tags. And now if you go to the the posts on our Patreon, there's tabs for bonus episodes, the free bonus episodes, because there are a few that are free and available to everyone, and then a tab for just the ones that are available to the patron backers. So make make it easier to find stuff. And that makes eight or nine bonus episodes that are available to anyone that does back us on the Patreon, which you can do at thebeardvegans.com slash beardo. Although, Paul, we got hacked recently. <laughs> yeah, it must be one of those companies and or people that does not like us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, if for some reason thebeardvegans.com slash beardo doesn't work, you can always just go to the patreon.com slash beardvegans, do a little shortcut. But yeah, those are all the announcements. Paul, mm-hmm. 
normally you would ask me what I've been eating, but you know what? I'm going to ask you, what have we been eating? Andy, I was literally about to say the exact same thing. <laughs> like word word for word, I was about to say the same thing, except instead of, yeah, no, actually, yeah, it would have been the exact same thing. But Andy. Three years, baby. <laughs> Andy and myself both went to Vegan Soul Fest in Baltimore this past weekend, and we got to try some pretty gosh darn great food. The The first thing from Roots Market, Andy, would you like to describe this delicious and savory treat that we had sure so we got their loaded biscuit which was a biscuit go figure and on it beyond sausage and in fact a whole beyond sausage we were like there's no way they're actually going to give us a whole sausage (laughs) they gave us all sausage and then they covered it with this herb gravy creamed spinach cashew cheese sauce green onions roasted corn coconut bacon roasted mushrooms and hot sauce yeah, it was it was great. And like Andy said, because it was $11, which obviously is not cheap, but VegFest wise is run of the mill, I would say. And when I saw the $11 price point, I, I literally, quite literally turned to Andy and said, there's no way that that's an entire Beyond Sausage that's on there. And lo and behold, because I figured it was just going to be like a little bit chopped up in the gravy, but it was an entire sausage that they kind of fried in front of you a little bit. Yeah, it was the entire sausage. It was great. The Beyond Sausage is phenomenal. I, like, I love tofurkey sausages. I like field roast sausages. But when I eat a Beyond Sausage, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, this is what I remember sausages tasting like from the few times in my life that I've had sausages. Yeah, the Beyond Sausage is just knocking it out of the park. Hashtag the snap is real. <laughs> and I, I, it did not, I mean, it, it, as you know, I just read that description. It's a lot of wet things on top of wet things. So <laughs> it didn't necessarily make a great picture, but I did get a nice reaction video of you eating it. That was on our mm-hmm, Instagram story mm-hmm, for a little mm-hmm. while. And the other thing that, that we got from them was this barbecue pulled pork donut sandwich. And the pulled pork on it was from No Evil Foods, which is a company that I've been a fan of for, for quite some time now. And they're really starting to get a pretty wide reach. And then I'm not sure where the donuts came from, if it's a, a Roots Market original, if they got it from somebody else. But I have to say, Paul, I think I'm just over the donut bun concept in general. <laughs> I, I've i only had it, I think, twice in my life. And yeah, both times have not been... Th- so Andy, I, I, didn't re- I had a bite of yours on this one. You were like sick, so I didn't want to... I didn't want to in, inherit your sickness, so I didn't really try I you too were much. Down in- with my sickness, Paul. <laughs> True, I didn't really want to inherit that, so I didn't. I tried only a little bit of this, but yeah, in the past, I think the donut bun is it rarely adds anything, and like the times that I've had it, it's kind of been like this is just too much dough. Yeah, I think that it is something that is better in theory. Because it it makes for this, like, I don't know what it is. People just love combinations of things. Like, I'll talk to my baker friends, and they could sell a cookie, and they could sell a cupcake, and they'd do fine. But you put that cookie on that cupcake, and people just lose their shit <laughs> over that. As if it's, like, this the most amazing thing. So, I guess I fall prey to that as well, because I'm like, oh, donut bun. But... I think that it's just, you know, they're usually glazed, so that means that they're sticky, and it just... 
I'd rather have the two things separate. I think it's the same way, and I always said this to you off the air, but I'll say it on air for the record, Paul. <laughs> I feel the same way about donut buns as I feel about root beer floats, and that I'd rather <laughs> just have ice cream and root beer separately rather than have like a scoop of ice cream that's like spinning in a glass of root beer as I'm trying to get a bite of it, and I, it's just it's never a satisfying experience. So I'm. On record, I'm against donut buns and root beer floats. The most controversial statement that will be said on this episode. <laughs> yeah, let's hope so. Let's hope so. So, Paul, I don't want to spend too much time on Soulfest, but I did bring you over to How Delish, and I said, you must try this tiramisu, because I raved about it an episode or two ago. What'd you think of that thing? I made the great pun, tiramisu, in case anyone missed that, because Andy said it was very soupy. It was so good. Like, I don't remember the last time I've had tiramisu, but yeah, it, it was so... How delicious it was, Andy. How delicious it was. It it was very good. <laughs> the cake part of it was really good. The soupy part was really good overall. Like, I don't... I'm not going out of my way to eat desserts very frequently. I'm not like a... Andy, I'm not a big dessert guy anymore. You're not a guy made out of big desserts, Paul? I'm not. I'm not. And and so it's like rare that I'll get something. But I was like, you know what? It's a special event. I'm with my my special friend, Andy. And he had raved about this before. So I decided to get it. And it did it did not disappoint. It was very, very good. Yeah. So overall, Soul Fest, fun time. We got to see a lot of friends there. Sport a great event. Sadly, had to leave before Maya performed. But so cool that they had such a big pull for the headliner this year. So... Looking forward to seeing that fest continue to grow and thrive in the future. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, Andy, we got a couple items from the corrections and omissions department. Do you want to hit us with this first one? Sure. So an episode or two ago, I mentioned that someone had written in with a great response to when someone says, what's up, Beardo, to us? And that response was, Beardo, what's up? And I, I totally blanked on who it was, and I just wanted to issue the correction that it was Beth Ann. So thank you, Beth Ann, for that suggestion. Thank you. And this this next little piece is from the omissions department, and that is, you know, we just did our anniversary episode. We were fielding all these questions that were more about the podcast and sort of us as opposed to the ethical quandaries of the mailbag episode. And as I was going through our inbox the other day, I realized that we missed one that I thought might be interesting to answer. So you can do that right now. This email comes to us from Mallory S., who emailed in. Have either of you ever been to a slaughterhouse or a slaughterhouse vigil? If you have, what was your experience like? If you have not, would you like to go one day? So, Andy, I'll take this one first, and then I'll I'll hand off the baton to you. And I I have not been to a slaughterhouse vigil before, so I cannot speak to my non-experience there, but I think I would be very hesitant to go to one and... That's mostly because I'm I'm always like when I'm thinking about these events I'm I'm thinking a lot about like what's going to be the reaction to the people who who see the demonstration or the protest or whatever it is seeing it happened like more so than I'm worried about what the demonstration is it's like I want to know if it's going to have a positive impact a constructive impact on the non-vegans that are going to witness it because really like why 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 am I going to do this thing if it's not going to further the cause that I'm trying to push for and I I think 
it seems like in some of the slaughterhouse vigil footage that I've seen, because slaughterhouses are, you know, strategically oftentimes placed in very isolated places because they know that if people saw what was going on, they would probably not want to support that business. It, it because they're so isolated or often isolated, it doesn't seem like it will it would impact that many non-vegans and it's like you'll see some of like in the videos of like uh, vegan activists versus slaughterhouse workers something like that it's like you see the interactions between the slaughterhouse workers you see them with the the truck drivers but i think oftentimes you don't just hit the general public and while of course i would also want the the slaughterhouse workers and the truck drivers and and everybody to be affected. So I'm not saying that of impacting those people is not beneficial. I think there are other ways to to maximize one's activism time. And like we've we've had this discussion plenty of times talking about like how how are we obliged to maximize our advocacy time and and are we always uh, should we always do the thing that is always going to have the most calculated impact and we've talked about that discussion before that's like a whole i think we literally had a whole episode about that but i think in this specific case my feelings about it are that it it's not going to to hit enough people it's not going to hit is a weird word it's not going to reach enough people that would seem to be something that I would want to do given how like the emotional stress and toll that it would have on me as like, a, and, and this is not about me obviously, but if I am in this place where I'm like emotionally crushed by this experience of, of seeing these animals as they're being taken to slaughter, I'm then not going to be able to be a good advocate in the future because I'm going to be so sad about that. So it's like taking into consideration the emotional toll that it would have on me and, and whether or not that might prohibit me to do further activism. That would be like another thing I might take into consideration. Andy, I've been talking for a very long time and I'm going to uh, p- pass the baton to you now. Okay, I will take that baton, Paul, and I will say this and that no, I have not been to a slaughterhouse or a slaughterhouse vigil or a vigil of any kind relating to the animals. And, you know, I I grew up at a young age in Vermont before moving to Connecticut before eighth grade. And so actually I, I've been around agriculture when I was a lot younger, a lot but never a slaughterhouse. It was a lot more like dairy operations and sort of the things that I think a lot of people would consider the more humane types of operations. Those were things that I spent spent plenty of time around and lots of hunters and, and all of that stuff, uh, but never a slaughterhouse. And so do I have a desire to visit a slaughterhouse like not as a part of a vigil and like actually go inside, get a tour? Zero, 100% zero desire to do that. And... You know, not not for personal curiosity, not for undercover footage. It's not something that I would want to personally subject myself to. And, you know, hat, hats off to the people that, that are able to do that. Although, of course, a lot of them have said that they have lasting, you know, mental health uh, issues because of it, PTSD and whatnot. So it's certainly not not good for anybody. As far as the vigils go, I'm, you know, I might go, I might go to check one out out of curiosity at some point. But, you know, Paul, you and I share similar views on the effectiveness of the vigils and we don't need to rehash those too much. I will counter what you said about the fact that they're not in public areas. I used to agree with that, but then it was pointed out to me that 
so much of it is just the video footage that is obtained from these things that then can get shown to wider audiences. So, so I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I'll concede to that point. So I, I, yes, I was thinking about that as I was saying it, that like, yes, you can just film this and show it, but I feel like how many non-vegans are watching those videos because like most non maybe maybe someone that's on like the cusp someone that's thinking about these things yes maybe those people will seek out these specific videos but i just d- wouldn't see a reason why a like a person that was against veganism would ever watch one of those videos except to watch it and be like look at these look at these ridiculous vegans type thing and and also it's like we do sometimes see videos backfiring against veganism. Like we talked about the protesters at the butcher shop. Was that last week's episode or was that the bonus episode? Oh, shoot. Who knows? I don't know. Who knows? We talked last week about a video of a protest that was like a peaceful protest where the butcher like some of the employees at the butcher shop came out and were like waving meat in the person's face and were being like real aggro about it. And the, like the comments were even, even like as disgusting as this person's actions were and as aggressive as they were, like a lot of the comments were in favor of like, Oh, well, like you wouldn't want someone to come to your job and protest what you're doing and and stuff like that. So it's like, I, I do worry that, that maybe Andy, maybe I'm being too negative about this. I think I'm being too negative about it, but I think I would, I just, I worry of about, there's so many variables about how things could go wrong. I, I mean, I'm, I'm someone that worries a lot anyway. So I feel like maybe I just worry so much that nothing would ever happen. And that's not, that's not what I want. So maybe I need to, you know, lighten up on it a little bit, but those are some of my concerns that I have. Well, I think that you could say that about any animal agriculture footage that well why would someone that was anti-vegan want to watch those things but we know that people watch these things all the time regardless of where they stand and regardless of whether they go vegan or not at the end so i don't know if that's like like i agree with you like i think a lot of the activists that go out to these vigils and post the footage you know for better or worse i think a lot of that is just watched by other activists i think a lot of people give themselves get you know get the pats on the back for doing the thing i you know you could counter that and say well isn't that at least good that they're creating a sense of community and we have such a high rate of recidivism within veganism and probably a lot of that might be due to the fact that people don't feel like they have a community or support so hey even if they are is just people getting pats on the back maybe you could say that's a good thing so, so I don't know, but like, I tend to agree with you, Paul, that like, I, I think the average vigil video that someone's just shooting on their cell phone probably is not getting seen by tons of non-vegans. So I don't know, I guess to me, maybe the biggest difference is depending on what is actually shown in the video. Like if it's mostly focused on the animals versus focused on, look what these activists are doing for the animals. You know, I think as long as the attention's on the animals and the camera goes in the truck and they see what's up. But of course, we're worried about that traumatizing the animals as well as a, a wonderful listener brought up a couple episodes ago in an email that we answered as well. So I don't know, Paul, but for me, what it all comes down to is there's too many unanswered questions and too many what ifs that to make me really want to be invested in them. But yeah, sure. I would go to check it out, I think, someday. But 
it's not something that I, from my observations and from what I've heard from people's observations that have actually been there, it's not something that I am particularly interested or invested in. I feel you. I feel you. All right, Paul. So let's move on into the news. And these first two things are almost more announcements than news. But I, you know, I kind of realized that for us, like our news section is not us breaking news stories. It's kind of like our opportunity to comment on how news is being covered. So I actually feel like these first two things are almost like us actually just reporting on some things that are happening that we think are pretty dang cool. So hit us with this first one. All right. So this first one is from chiliesonwheels.org. And you may remember, if you are a longtime listener slash you just listened to the older episodes, we interviewed Michelle Carrera from Chili's on Wheels in ba- all the way back in episode 39. So this is a message from their website titled Introducing the LIVE, which stands for Low Income Vegan Education Mentorship Program. It is with great excitement that we present to you our new LIVE Low Income Vegan Education Mentorship Program. This program is the first of its kind to take our cultural and socioeconomic differences into consideration. We recognize that our identities affect how we approach the choices that we make in life, and a transition into veganism is no exception. For absolutely no cost, those who sign up for our 21-day program will receive daily informative emails, a full cost-effective meal plan, and will be matched with a mentor of a similar background to assist them on their journey into a new vegan lifestyle. Pre-existing vegans can sign up to mentor those who enroll in our program. Equipped with a mentor manual to guide them through the process, mentors will be matched with a mentee of a similar cultural and socioeconomic background to help facilitate the smoothest transition possible. This is so cool. This is so cool. I just continue to love the work that Chili's on Wheels and, and Michelle and Ollie are doing there. Yes. No, definitely. This is, this is very cool. This like, this tackles, I feel like one of those issues that we rarely see vegan organizations. I shouldn't say rarely. There are people out there doing great work, but there are many organizations that also aren't doing work specifically to make, to help make veganism more accessible because, you know, like you can, you can say, go vegan, go vegan, go vegan 20,000 times, but some people are, are, it's, not an easy thing to do and and organizations that are making veganism more accessible for those people i think that that is incredible yeah i mean i think i think paul you could probably safely say that the vast majority of mainstream animal rights organization groups or vegan advocacy or welfare groups however you want to classify them do not address this or if they do it's usually in a very surface level oh vegan can be cheap make rice and beans cook in advance and prepare you know lots of food at the same do bulk cooking things like that that are are, you know good advice for some people but not for for everyone and i think seeing programs like this they're specifically catered to those that are not typically advocated for by the people that are in that situation not just a bunch of sort of you know wealthy privileged vegans coming in and saying like we know how to do this for you I think that that is it's super powerful. I love that they are going to team people up with people that are in similar situations as them, because I think that that is, that is such a huge thing. Is is you know we talk about that all the time that we're most effective when we're advocating to those that are most like us, so that we can sort of relate our situations and explain what we did when we were in their shoes and and whatnot. So, I think that's really awesome. And I love that this announcement also said that they 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 consulted and got contributions from like for resources and recipes from 
the Afro-Vegan Society, the Food Empowerment Project, and Vegan Mexican Recipes, Sanctuary Publishers, Christopher Sebastian, and the Soulful Veganista as well. So I love that this has really just been a community effort in that regard. So we're going to put the link to that in the show notes so you can check that out if you are someone that's listening that feels like you could use this assistance or if you're someone that feels like you would be a great mentor in this, uh, definitely head over there and you can sign up. You can get all the details, but uh, great work. Great work, Michelle and yeah. Ollie and Chili's on Wheels. And I, I wish this program much success. Yes, most definitely. Check that out. So what's the second thing, Andy? All right. So this is something that we were approached with not too long ago, and it's finally been made made public. So I think it would just be good for us to talk about it and let our listeners know that this is a thing that is out there. And this is what is being called the Vegan Bill of Consistent Anti-Oppression. Now, you can find this at consistentantioppression.com, and we'll put a link to that in our show notes as well. And this is a project that was spearheaded by Julia Feliz Brook, who is a friend of the show and was interviewed not too too long ago from Sanctuary Publishers, Menica Repka, apologies on that pronunciation, Carol J. Adams, also friend of the show, and Carolyn Bailey as well. So so what this is, it's it's a 12-point bill that can help guide us in creating a, a more inclusive and more effective vegan movement. And I wouldn't be surprised if it gets added to over time, but I think it's pretty thorough now. And so, Paul, I figured it's not that long, and maybe we could just go back and forth point by point and just read each point from this bill so people know what it's all about. Let's do it. All right. Point one, reject saviorism, center non-humans in their own movement. Number two, avoid celebrity veganism, support local activism. Three, avoid oppressive language. Four, recognize that accessibility is a very real root issue that veganism must work on. Access to healthy foods, classism, homelessness, etc. Solving root issues is imperative in order to ensure access to all. Five, promote veganism as a whole, not in pieces. Single issue veganism versus veganism as a movement centered on working against the oppression of non-humans from human supremacy and one that is consistently against all oppression and exploitation, not just for some non-humans and not a movement that adds to the impression of marginalized people. Number six, recognize that different communities experience veganism differently. Therefore, ensure marginalized vegans lead on their own issues. Do not target people of color or marginalized groups with campaigns. Instead, support vegans of color working in their own communities. Veganismofcolor.com is a good place to start. Seven, ensure accessibility to vegan events for those with disabilities, i.e. image descriptions, event access for those using wheelchairs, access for people with hearing disabilities, for instance, sign language interpretations, subtitles for videos or transcripts, etc. Number eight, recognize that anyone's vegan activism is not more important than their participation in oppressive behavior, i.e. sexual assault, ableism, racism, transphobia, sizism, etc. Number nine, tolerating human oppression means failing non-human liberation because human and non-human oppressions are intertwined. Therefore, make a commitment to address other isms when you see them. Number 10, ensure marginalized vegans have an equal platform within your organization or event beyond tokenism. Avoid cosmetic diversity and support those vegans by giving them a platform and compensating them as you would non-marginalized vegans. Number 11, consent in your activism is vital. You can't expect non-vegans to be open to new concept when you violate their needs, i.e., 
triggering someone's PTSD due to violent imagery. And number 12, work on root issues. Do not target individuals, i.e. medicine shaming versus campaigning for vegan medicine or against animal testing, infant formula shaming versus supporting efforts towards maternity leave or vegan formula or maternity support, etc. And so that's it. So we were a- approached and asked if we would be willing to, to sign on to this along with a number of, of other really wonderful people, including some folks we've interviewed on the show before. And I think we both thought that, you know, Paul, I sent it to you and you said, well, this sounds like it kind of sums up a lot of our, our show in a nutshell. Yeah, we don't have to do the show anymore. We can just we can just read this list out every single episode. <laughs> yeah, perfect. And yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, I just I feel like people might look at this and be like, oh, this is a list of commandments. But I think it, it's a really good way to just sort of like have some guiding principles in in how we approach our activism. You know, I don't I don't think this means that we will stop having discussions on things like the role of graphic imagery and adv- advocacy or, or things like that. But I think that having something like this to look to to help guide, I think, is something that would be really helpful for a lot of people. And I, I think it's also an important thing to point out is if if you hear these, if you hear some of these listed and you're like oh shoot i'm doing that i'm like uh, a big endorser of vegan celebrities or, or things like that it's like kind of instead of thinking about this list as like you either do this and you are a good person or you don't do this and you're a bad person like maybe use it as a way to try and better yourself it's like we're always you know andy and myself obviously included we're all just trying to be better and we're all like you should always be looking for ways that you can be better reflecting on your own actions your own words and and, and how those things might impact other people or how they impact your activism and just like reflecting on these things thinking about how you can be better so if some of these things if if you hear some of these things and you're like oh no i don't agree with that or it's like oh shoot that's me just like you know reflect on it and and maybe this is an opportunity for you to just you know like make some make some changes and hopefully continue improving yourself. Yeah, and if you if you hear some of those points and you're you're scratching your head as to why they might be included or you're looking for some some expansion upon those points, you can go to consistentantioppression.com and there is more explanations and uh, expansions on a lot of the points as well. So, and I'm sure that'll be a resource that continues to get updated and expanded upon. So, yeah, we'll put a link to that in the show notes and just thought it was uh, sort of an important step forward that would be worth highlighting. Yeah, I, I definitely think that this is this is an important thing to get out there. So thank you to all of those individuals that helped create this. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, from what I've seen, a lot of this is sort of an effort to, you know, there's sort of the struggle about whether to use the term intersectionality or not. And this is is about trying to find like a more apt label for what it is and what how it like applies within veganism without co-opting a term that was not necessarily created for veganism so i don't know i think it's really interesting definitely check out that link all right let's move on into this last one andy paul we've been talking about 
over the over the course of the years that we've been doing this, all these legal efforts that have started to be made to determine what can and be can not labeled milk or meat or mayo. And there, there's like almost too many of them to keep track of. It's something that's happening globally at this point. And one that I think that we must have neglected to mention on the show was making some waves way back in May. And that was this bill in Missouri. And it was basically about what can and cannot be labeled meat. And so we'll talk about what makes it relevant for this very second. But first, let me just give you a little background on that. And so this was a bill that went through the Senate and was just basically waiting for the governor of Missouri to sign it into law at this point when all these articles were coming out back in May. And so I found an article from NPR around that time called Missouri may be the first state to get serious about the definition of meat. And just to give you an idea of what this bill would actually entail, I'll read from the article. Under the bill, which had overwhelming bipartisan support, only specific products that came from once living, breathing animals can be marketed as meat. Specifically, meat would be defined as something, quote, derived from harvested production, livestock, or poultry. So really, the the war on the meat terminology was underway there and then turns out that yes indeed it did get signed into law and that brings us to this this current story which came out august 27th so this is from new york times tofurkey sues to stop missouri law over meat terminology tofurkey filed a lawsuit in missouri on monday seeking to defend its right to describe its products with meat terminology such as sausage and hot dogs as long as the packaging makes clear what the ingredients are Tofurkey and the Good Food Institute, which advocates for plant-based diets, say a Missouri law set to take effect Tuesday is too vague and could be used to go after a range of vegetarian products that use such terminology. Tofurkey says if the law is allowed to stand, it would have to change its packaging. The Missouri Cattlemen's Association, which supported the statute, said its concern isn't with products like Tofurkey that make clear they're from plants. Mike Deering, the group's executive vice president, said the worry is the emergency science of meat grown by culturing animal cells in a lab and whether they'll disclose how they were made once they're on the market. As companies push newer meat substitutes, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association has also said protecting beef nomenclature is a priority. The U.S. Cattlemen's Association, a smaller group, petitioned the U.S. Department of Agriculture in February to enforce that beef and meat only be used for animals, quote, born, raised, and harvested in the traditional manner. Boo. Boo Cattlemen's Association. (laughs) Beef nomenclature, huh? (laughs) This is, like, Andy, I feel like there has been a thread throughout the history of the podcast of us talking about these sorts of stories. Like we have talked about mayo and dairy and meat and, and, all this stuff so many times and it makes me hopeful that throughout the years that we've talked about this it has never seemed to have like a terrible impact on veganism as a whole but i am still always worried that like one of these things is going to pass and it's going to have this like massive impact because like tofurkey said like having to change all your packaging that I can't imagine that that's inexpensive. So it's like, it's going to hit your business on this unnecessary with these unnecessary costs. And, and hopefully like it wouldn't cause some of these smaller businesses to have to 
shut down. So I don't know. I'm I'm even though I feel like history is on our side that these things don't really come to fruition or they don't have the impact that we worry about. I'm still always concerned. I'm still concerned, Andy. Yeah, well, this one's kind of interesting because they they say the the Cattlemen's Beef Association says that they're not trying to go after Tofurky or Gardein or you know some of those companies where it's generally pretty clear that what they're making is not from an animal, but that they're going after the clean meat, the cultured meat, the lab grown meat, and I don't believe them. I think that. With this passing and set to go into effect on Tuesday, which I guess is actually today as of the date of this recording, that that I bet once it's through that someone will try and use it to take down Tofurky or some other company because it is such such a vaguely worded bill. And so it's also interesting to me, Paul, because I feel like they have a much stronger case for tofurkey not being allowed to use meat versus clean meat because the clean meat actually does come from animals like it actually technically is animal flesh you know and so it feels like they would have much less of a leg to stand on but obviously it passed i'm assuming a lot of the lawmakers in the state get a lot of donations from that cattlemen's beef association yes andy but the clean meat is not harvested and raised in the traditional manner which is such like a weird, like it's such a weird thing that a law is based on like, oh yeah, we've always done it this way in the past. So that's the reason why we should keep doing it is because that's how we've done it before, which is such like a weird anti-progress way to think about things. Can't call it meat unless it was killed the most brutal way possible. Like <laughs> it's, it's yeah. just such a weird thing to say like, you can't call it meat unless... It was fed a ridiculous amount of grain and produced a ton of methane and soaked up all our water and then lived a life of abject misery, died a horrible death. Only if those things happen can you actually call this meat. And all of a sudden, if you remove those things from the process, but you have the same end product, more or less, now all of a sudden you can't call it meat. And like in that NPR article, you know, they're they're talking about like, what's his name? Deering. Mike Deering is saying things like, oh, we're just trying to protect like the farmers and and their interests and stuff like that. It's like they don't they don't care about like they care about their businesses making money. It's like they don't care about the the lower level employees that they have so i don't it's it's just one of those things where it's like oh people are gonna people are so confused when they go shopping and they won't know what to like they don't know what they're buying and i think it was someone from the good food institute in that same article that pointed out like like people know like they're people know what they're buying when they buy things it's the same thing with milk like that's what they've tried to do with milk and say like oh people are gonna be all the who are all these people that are accidentally buying almond and soy milk it's like almond milk always has like pictures of almonds on it and stuff like that and no one's i shouldn't say no one i i imagine there are very few people who are accidentally buying vegan products when they think that they're buying meat products or dairy products yeah i don't know the whole the whole thing is so bizarre and i guess like you pointed out paul i take some solace in the fact that at least in the u.s these things never seem to go through or never seem to last very long so I'll be really curious to see how this this Tofurky lawsuit plays out. And and actually I wonder, I wonder like what if it gets to a point when they they reach some sort of settlement to amend the bill to leave out 
products like tofurkey but still include clean meat like I, i'm wondering if tofurkey or, or any company involved would would take that deal and throw clean meat under the bus or you know i'm, I'm just sort of curious how this whole thing is going to play out i know i know the legal system the gears of justice grind slowly paul so i'm sure it's gonna be a long time before we see how this actually plays out but i am so curious to see what's gonna happen here andy i have faith that tofurkey will do the right thing now granted granted like if they're in this lawsuit and it seems like their two options are either yes we'll change this so that your products won't be won't be targeted or the other option is just no you're not going to win this case it's like then i guess i could see them wanting to take that because they're like all right if those are the our two options i guess at least we should you know not suffer because of this but i imagine i don't know i have faith that tofurkey would would fight for the like the good of all animals as a whole which would i believe obviously we've discussed clean meat before but i believe they would be in favor of clean meat over quote traditionally raised meat yeah i mean tofurkey has really proven themselves to be a very stand-up company over the years yeah. so yeah so i i again i'll just say i'm curious i i'm wondering what would they call it like what would they be allowed to label it if not clean meat like i'm assuming the issue isn't the clean the issue is the meat so would they call it clean cultured animal cells or you know like what i'm just like so Caref curious what they would actually call it carefully crafted clean animal cells <laughs> what is the what's the hellman's thing what what's the hellman's mayo carefully crafted oh, carefully sandwich crafted spread? sandwich dressing and spread or whatever <laughs> salad dressing and sandwich spread oh god yeah what if what if that's what happens is a Hellman's type situation where the these big meat industries they realize that they're not winning these lawsuits so instead they're like well we're going to call our cows soy burgers now. Well like what if they do it like a complete 180 and they're like well how do you, how do you like it vegans? I don't know Paul. <laughs> I don't know just these are the things that I, these are the things that keep me up at night Andy. Uh, you're not counting sheep you're just thinking about what if they start calling <laughs> beef burgers soy burgers so <laughs> i'm thinking that's what that's what those are the things that i worry about all right i'm getting off the rails okay well you know we actually had one more story that we were gonna cover but we're running a little bit longer than we were expecting to at this point so we're gonna we're gonna bump this one in next week to keep you all in suspense but a lot of people more than usual have sent us this article over at the guardian which is entitled if you want to save the world veganism is not the answer and we're not going to do a full debunking of this, but we definitely have some thoughts on this. And so just want you to know that it's on our radar and we'll be talking about it more thoroughly next week. So stay tuned for that. So before we get into our main discussion here, Paul, you know what we got to do. Got to thank our Patreon donors, Andy. That's right. That's right. We do. The, the wonderful people that support us at at least a dollar a month, sometimes up to a lot more than that per month. And we thank everyone no matter what rate they donate at, because that makes all those bonus episodes we've been putting out possible, as well as making our podcast more sustainable and more accessible in the long run. So uh, anyone who donates gets a shout out on the show. And that means we're giving a huge thank you to Kathleen W. Morgan S. Melissa with no last name just no last share name. madonna madonna prince 
and Melissa. <laughs> and Rita T, who bumped up their pledge on behalf of their partner, Michael Yusamidi. Sorry, uh, apologies for the pronunciation. Andy, I feel like at the beginning of our episode, we have our theme song where it has like typical quotes from our shows. How come we don't have... Sorry if we pronounced your last name wrong in in one of those <laughs> intro quotes. <laughs> well, it's funny because... Rita, who who was pledging at one rate and then bumped up their pledge to double that rate to to donate on behalf of their partner, Michael, even included a very detailed pronunciation guide for Michael's last name. I think it's Yasamidi. Oh, I'm see, even even then I messed it up. <laughs> We're just no good at these last names. But yeah, I, I thought that was a very sweet gesture from Rita. And Rita's actually Rita and Michael are the folks that made that video of us as chipmunks. Oh yeah, a long, a a long while video. ago. So, <laughs> so they they keep us smiling, and we have, of course appreciate your support and everyone's support. So, if you want to get in on that action, just head over to thebeardedvegans.com/slash beardo. It's B E A R D O, and you'll have some options. You can do a one-time donation via PayPal. You can do a recurring smaller donation via Patreon, and there's also the link to our web store. Where we have our, our shirts and stickers up there as well, all at thebeardedvegans.com/slash beardo. And uh, yeah, you get early access, you get merch, buttons and stickers, all that good stuff. So thank you once again. All right. So let's move on into this main discussion. Do you have to be an activist in order to call yourself vegan? Andy, what, what spurred this question? Well, Paul, this is actually coming to us from an article over at plantbasednews.org. Usually we get some news from them. I don't know if we ever had a main discussion from them before, but I thought this one was just such an interesting discussion. So the title of this article is Animal Liberation Front Founder Proposes New Definition of Veganism. So let me read a little bit from this article. Two animal rights activists are calling for a new definition of veganism to be implemented across the board. Animal Liberation Front, or the ALF, founder Ronnie Lee and campaigner Tony Harris created the new definition, which includes a moral imperative to educate others about animal exploitation at the end of 2017. That's when they coined the term. The current definition of veganism set out by the Vegan Society says, quote, Veganism is a way of living which seeks to exclude, as far as possible and practicable, all forms of exploitation of and cruelty to animals for food, clothing, or any other purpose. The definition created by Lee and Harris goes further, saying, quote, Veganism is a way of living that seeks to exclude all forms of exploitation of non-human animals, which extends beyond dietary considerations to the avoidance of all forms of animal abuse, including harm to their natural habitats. It includes a moral duty to actively oppose all forms of animal exploitation and to encourage and educate others to become vegan, with the core aim being to eradicate speciesism. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, the article does go on and it kind of talks about some people with opposing viewpoints to sort of changing the definition of veganism. But I think we could kind of pick up the conversation here. As I as I said at the top of the show, we have covered several different angles where people have tried to expand the definition of veganism or, or loosen it. I think obviously more prominently than anyone else, of course, is is the reducitarian thing, Brian Cateman there. And basically this idea that it's important for us to widen the umbrella, make the tent bigger that everyone can fit under 
to claim that they are a part of this movement, whether they want to actually be vegan or not. They could call themselves reducitarian or flexitarian or meat reducer or something like that. And I think even to lesser degrees, we see people that say things like, we shouldn't get bent out of shape over honey. We shouldn't advocate that people need to check for you know, the, the Isinglass in their, in their alcohol, in their beer, things like, like sort of like the smaller byproducts that, you know, there's people that sort of advocate, let's not worry about that. Let's worry about the big stuff. So I feel like that's, that's like a little bit in between what I would just call veganism and like the reduced tearing thing. And all of these efforts are sort of focused on we're making it too hard for people to be vegan. We're making it seem too strict, like it's too much of an elite club. And, you know, we're scaring people away. We're scaring people away because they think that there's this rigid set of rules and there's this perfection that's required. And and so we've talked about our thoughts and opinions on on that type of advocacy and this is going further in the opposite direction which is saying that we want a definition of veganism that not only requires abstaining from using animals but requires action on your part and i guess we can talk about what that action like what falls under that action is it just talking to people is it going out and doing an action is it going out and liberating animals is it handing out leaflets you know, what could it be? We'll get into that, of course. But basically, this is this is saying we need more than just veganism. So, Paul, I guess let's let's pick it up there. What are what are your just sort of your introductory thoughts on the the pros and cons of of changing this definition of veganism to include activism? All right. I don't even know if activism is the right word because this just says to encourage and educate others to become vegan. Which almost seems like lighter than activism, but what do, what do you think? So, I think first of all, I, I I definitely want to before we even discuss the pros and cons. I certainly want to acknowledge that I think that that's the ideal. Like I would say, I hope that people, whether or not by the end of this discussion, I choose. I'm more on the pro or the con side of this. It certainly is the ideal that I want people who are vegan to also be engaged in some sort of the way that they're saying activism, activism, because, you know, it's like if my goal is to hopefully have worldwide veganism, that's going to happen as people continue to be educated and it's going to happen quicker, the more people there are doing it. So it certainly is something that I would hope happens now. I, the thing, Andy, the first thing that comes to my mind that I'm curious about is if this is accepted, say every major vegan organization tomorrow says, you know what? These two people are right. This is, this is our new, this is our new definition of veganism. I'm wondering what the impact would be, what the immediate effect would be, because to me, it seems like people who are already involved in vegan activism, it would not necessarily change anything. If anything, they might be like, yeah, heck yeah, this is great. Now it's on board with what I believe anyways, or it's on board with what I'm doing anyways. But I I wonder how people, how vegans who aren't involved in activism, how they would feel about this. And now I will also say this, Andy, if, if someone is just vegan you know it's like maybe independently or maybe through some way 
they've discovered, you know what? I want to be vegan. Like this is the right choice ethically, even ethically we'll say this is the right choice ethically for me that I believe to be true. If they're not involved in activism necessarily, maybe they would, this wouldn't even come up to them. You know, it's like if they're not in tune with what's going on with all the vegan organizations and who, what are all the, the top vegan celebrities saying and stuff like that, if they don't care about any of that stuff, this probably won't affect them because they probably won't even find out about it unless like major news sources start to cover it and and it pick, gets picked up on news sources. But even then, they might just shrug it off and be like, oh, this is something I never really cared about. But I do wonder also about the in-betweeners where it's like they follow the Humane League, they follow HSUS or, or and some, Peter or something like that, but they're not super involved if they hear this new thing. Like, I wonder how they would feel about it, if they would be pushed to do activism or if they would be driven away from veganism because they no longer feel accepted into it. Yeah, that's that's an interesting... Uh, it's almost like the what if the whole world went vegan overnight, what would happen to the cows thing, but... Yeah, like what? What if? <laughs> what would happen to over, the vegans overnight? Yeah, well, this is what I. I think that's a really good question. I think that if there was all of a sudden this overnight decree that anyone, I'll be using air quotes here, important in the movement adopted and said that like you cannot call yourself vegan unless you are actively educating people on going vegan. I feel like there would be. Like you said, some people are like, okay, that's what I'm doing, which is probably the smallest percentage of vegans. <laughs> and then and then there would be a lot of people that are like, I guess I'm not vegan now, technically. You know? Like they might continue to practice th- what they had at that up to that point considered veganism, but maybe they're like, I'm not trying to be the activist. I'm not trying to be the I don't want to talk to my friends and family about this. I just want to be in peace by myself and I totally get that. I totally get that. And and so I guess I'm wondering if that is the case does that affect anything? Like if those people still believe it's morally right to not exploit animals and they will continue to not eat them and wear them and use them for entertainment but they're not technically calling themselves vegan because they're not doing the activism. I don't really know what the impact of that is other than causing some division within the vegan community. I feel like there'd be more people that would perhaps, perhaps be deterred from entering. Like, I feel like all the people that are already involved, there might be some people that feel like, well, screw you. I'm what I'm doing. Isn't good enough for your definition. Then I don't want to be vegan anymore. Anyway, you know, it almost, I don't know. I feel like within veganism, there might, I don't know, Paul, there could very well be some people that go, okay, I guess I need to get active now so I can continue to be a vegan. But I also kind of feel like the person that would care about that is probably already active on some front, even if it just means they're posting a Facebook rant or or like talking to their friends and family about it. Yeah, because I, I agree with that because like I I could very well be wrong with this, but like the change of a definition of a label seems like not the reason why someone would make a what I would consider like a big change 
like that. Like, I, like, I don't think someone's saying like, oh, they changed the definition of veganism. Now I guess I got to do this thing. It's like you were saying, Andy, they would probably already be doing that if that's the thing that's go- if like that's the only little push that they needed that they would probably already be doing that kind of stuff. So I don't yeah, I don't know if it would really I don't know how many people it would push into veganism. I think that it certainly it feels like an attractive thing to do to people that are already involved in that stuff. But but it wouldn't be affecting those people at all, you know? Yeah, because I I think that there's definitely sort of this disdain for what we'll call quote unquote like cupcake activists. I've heard a lot of people use that term, which is basically or cupcake vegans, I guess, which is essentially the people that post pictures of cupcakes and they don't actually go out and do quote unquote real activism. Now I'm sure some people would say that posting a bunch of vegan food and sharing it with people is activism on some level. And again, I want to parse out what counts as activism, what counts as educating others and encouraging others to go vegan because, I don't know, I feel like posting pictures of food could easily fall under encouraging and educating people. But yeah, I think that for those that do sort of have disdain for the the quote-unquote cupcake vegans, this would be kind of the like, yeah, you have to, if you want to keep that label that we all share, you have to go out and get active in some sort of way. So I understand the appeal. And also, you know, when I was touring with the 10 Billion Lives Tour, you know, we're going to all these college campuses, and the more volunteers we would have, the more successful we would be, because the more people we have volunteering, that means more people to split up amongst having conversations with people. You can devote more time to them. You can devote more attention to what's going on. You can have extra people that are out there bringing people in to watch the video that we'd be showing them all about the treatment of animals and farms and whatnot, or just the animal agriculture system in general. And it was so hard to recruit volunteers. And it was so easy to get people excited about a picture of a nice vegan lasagna or something like that. (laughs) And I would see that, like I would post something about writing letters to, you know, political prisoners who are in prison for animal liberation activities on like the Compassion Company Instagram and it would get 15 likes and then I'd post something amazing from Vegan Treats and it would get 500 likes Yeah, back before Instagram really limited who actually saw your stuff, you know, and... (laughs) So like I, I I get that frustration because I like you said, Paul, that's the ideal. We we want everyone that is passionate about something to be advocating for that thing that they are passionate about if we believe that it would make the world a better place for them to do so. And certainly more people advocating veganism, making more vegans. I believe 100% that that makes the world a better place. Obviously it makes the world a better place for animals, of course. So so like so I I get the frustration, I get the motivation behind wanting to change this definition. I guess my issues are the logistics of it of actually getting everyone to agree to adopting this term, which I feel like the chances of that happening are less than zero. <laughs> and then I also do worry about the implications it would have for making people want to become vegan. You know, because like if people feel like if I go vegan, it's mandated that I must start going and and doing these public demos that I have previously had a very unfavorable view of. And I'm saying it like the from the point of view of this, this character that I'm inhabiting right now, Paul, because I'm an actor. Uh, you know, like I've had this unfavorable view of all this activism. And now all of a sudden, if I want to call myself vegan, I have to do that stuff. Well, I'd rather just not do that stuff. I'm going to stay home and do nothing. Well, Andy, let's we've been like dancing around this 
let's actually talk about what what it means to do activism in terms of this definition that's trying to get changed like what would qualify as activism and i almost want to try and parse out what is the minimum that quote minimum because obviously that's subjective some of it's subjective but like what is the minimum what's the bare bones for what would be considered activism because like i would almost consider a lot of times like just by being the vegan in your workplace the only vegan in your workplace or the only vegan in your class or something like that often generates conversations about veganism and it's like i feel like that might be considered activism is you're just having these conversations with people even if you don't necessarily are you're not trying to seek them out they just they find you like is that is does that qualify i i don't know like i think it has a positive effect but I don't know if I would like activism to me implies a sense of action, right? That's like right in the name activism. And it feels like it's more than just passively existing and setting an example through your existence. But I guess when I say setting an example, that is, of course, in action, regardless of how like <laughs> active you are when you set that example. Like it's mm -hmm. not like you have to be like moving around and holding a sign and being like, look at me, I'm really completing an action and setting an example for all you fools right now. <laughs> you know, like it's I don't know. It th this whole thing, Paul, has me thinking of the that that famous phrase from the the obscenity case that went in front of the Supreme Court, uh Jacob Ellis or Jacob Ellis versus Ohio in 1964 and it, uh, the phrase when they're they're basically trying to determine what was obscene and what's hardcore pornography and they're having like a really hard time like actually defining it because it's kind of like it's hard to parse out the difference between like a, a an artful nude versus porn or whatever yeah. and uh, and the phrase i know it when i see it came out of that case right <laughs> and it's just like one of those things where you're like i feel like i know activism when i see it even if i can't always define it and and i i i feel like just by existing and setting a good example i don't necessarily consider that activism nor would i expect that ronnie lee and tony harris would consider that activism either and but that doesn't mean that i don't think that it's not a good thing for us to do but I just, I don't know, I just would not consider that activism. I, f I, I again, I don't want to crap upon that. And I'm cutting you off, Paul. I'm sorry. That's but okay. I feel like, to me, activism involves more engagement on some level, whether it's making a Facebook post, starting a conversation, handing out a leaflet, or, or creating like art or creating a podcast or, or something. And I'm sure some people would argue what we do is not activism. It's not a hill that I care about dying on. If someone's like, you're not activist because you just do a podcast, I'd be like, fine, I don't care. <laughs> just probably the same reaction a lot of people would be like, you're not vegan if you're not an activist. People would be like, okay, fine, I'll just keep, <laughs> you know, I, I would be like, okay, I'm just going to keep making this podcast because it helps some people and it's fun for us to do despite despite the overwhelming stress that it can cause them to, you know? <laughs> so, I don't know. Paul, I keep cutting you off. That's okay. What are you going to say? Hey, folks, it's Paul here. Sorry to interrupt the show for a quick second, but you know what that sound means? It means that one of our microphones messed up. And, yeah, so Andy's microphone, for one reason or another, just kind of 
pooped out on us. We did not realize it while it was recording, so it's not until we were editing that we realized it did not sound so good. But I think you can still understand everything fine, so just wanted to give you a quick heads up. Sorry about the quality, but I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Andy, I'm going to propose another situation for you. I feel like your answer is going to be, no, this is not activism. But I don't know why this this popped into my head. What about someone that, say, seeks out and listens to podcasts with the intent of maybe being challenged by different ideas or thoughts that they haven't heard of before and then making changes to their lifestyles because of those things? Like, for instance, say someone listened to... Lauren Ornelas talk about food empowerment project and then said, you know what, I'm I'm not going to support these companies that produce chocolate that's that's that comes from slave labor. Like, is that activism? If you're saying like I am I am actively trying to better myself. Oh, Paul, you know, this conversation is getting so much deeper than I was expecting it to. <laughs> I think that 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 falls under like self improvement more mm-hmm. than active. Like I think of act. Like okay, I got some thoughts. Right. I think of activism as something that is outwardly affecting others in and and with a sense of immediacy. But I'm sure someone could say that by improving ourselves, that is ultimately outwardly affecting the world. You know, like one. If you change yourself, you have changed the world. In some smaller, minute, or, or imperceptible way, but on some level, you have changed the world just by changing yourself. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Uh, <laughs> you know, so so I guess someone could make an argument that by becoming a working on becoming a better human being, that that is activism. But I feel like it's not. You know, like I feel like it's it's self-improvement and that's different from activism, but equally important. And we don't have to call both of those things activism in order for them to be valid and important. I actually, I thought of a counterexample to the point that I just brought up. (laughs) So what about people who do things that are certainly improvements about their impact, but could not be, replicated. For instance, we've had episodes talking about people who are who who now just like live off the land and they they live in these secluded areas or maybe not secluded, they live in the woods and they they hunt and kill a few animals a year, maybe like let's just throw out a number, 3. They kill 3 animals a year and the rest of their food they're like raising on a little farm that they have. Like they certainly are doing a thing that they would say, I am having, I as an individual am having a tremendously less impact than that's weirdly phrased, but a tremendously, whatever, less of an impact than, (laughs) than the majority of the world that are meat eaters. But also some would argue they're having as an individual less of an impact than vegans would if you want to go into, say, the animals that are killed in the production of plants. But that's a whole other episode that we've already had. But I would say, I would say, I would disagree with that person because their, their situation, while yes, maybe having by the numbers less of an impact cannot be replicated as, as something that could, could have a global, you know, could be globally 
replicated and not everyone can do that thing so therefore yes even though they're improving themselves they're not creating a solution that everyone could do the end that is that's a great point and i think that like i'm looking back on this new definition and it says to encourage and educate others to become vegan so this isn't even just you must be an activist in the vague sense. It's telling you very specifically what it is that you must do, and that is to encourage and educate others. So so I, I agree with your point, Paul, that that working to individually abstain from this horrible system as much as possible is a really commendable thing. But if it's not a preachable global ethic, that it still falls short in some way but also like the pessimist in me is like well this shitty horrible world will never be truly fixed so i might as well just do my best to live my ethical my life as ethically as possible and that would involve maybe you know maybe 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 that would involve going into the woods and killing three animals a year versus the the animals that are killed and the the crops that i harvest or you know this is hold your letters this is all just (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is all just speculative, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I agree, Paul. I think that, I think that that for the purposes of this discussion is not activism, even though it is someone very actively engaged in doing a thing, but it's almost more like self-improvement. And I feel like activism involves influencing others in some regard, and it could be convincing them or helping them to go vegan, or it could be, you know, chaining yourself to a tree that prevents the path of, of some giant machines that are trying to log a forest or build some, some development or, or something like that. That's still affecting others. So I don't know, I guess that's how I would define activism. Does activism though, does it have to be something that's, this is maybe straying a little bit away from the, the point, but does activism have to be something where you're promoting something that could be like globally, maybe not even globally, but to a, could be reproduced to a massive extent because I'm thinking that person that does live like that could promote that to other people, even though that's not something that everyone could do. That person could say, Hey, you vegan or Hey, you meat eater, like you should live in the woods and just hunt and sustain yourself off of that. Like that person is certainly advocating for that lifestyle. Obviously we disagree with it, but is that activism? I feel like then that would fall under the category of activism. You know, something we probably should have done at the beginning of this discussion was just to look up the dictionary definition of activism, Paul. Webster's dictionary (laughs) defines activism as (laughs) the policy or action of using vigorous campaigning to bring about political or social change. Hmm. Do you think someone improving themselves falls under political or social change? They could be good, right? Yeah, because they could be doing the thing for a political reason. You know, they're abstaining from something for a political reason. Although, although I'm sure you could then argue that if you abstain from the thing and no one knows you're abstaining from this thing or why, that it's almost like a meaningless thing. Like it's if a tree falls in the forest, and no one hears it kind of thing. Like for for your abstention to have any sort of activist repercussions, people would have to know why you're doing it. Now I'm sure someone would step in and say, "But well, 
no one has to know you're vegan. And if enough people were vegan, the supply and demand would step in and say <laughs> less animals are produced or whatever. But I feel like in general, it's probably important for people to know why you are abstaining from doing something. Yes, certainly. I, I think we can definitely agree on that. I, I like I think, Andy, we have similar views about this, and, and I hope that we're not – I hope that to the listeners we're not coming off like <laughs> strive to do the least amount of thing possible. That is not what we're <laughs> trying to say. But I think we are having this conversation because if there was something that said in the definition of veganism, you have to do this thing, then that thing should be clearly defined. And, and I, that is what we're trying to kind of figure out. But are we getting off the point of it, though? Like, I think we are so far away from the point of what, what, what uh, Ronnie and Tony were intending here. Because they, it says, so here's the thing. This was said during uh, an event called Vegan Campout in the UK. <laughs> I could not find any other transcript of this. I could not find a video of this. And I couldn't find any other writing from either of these people on this subject. So we're really going off this bare bones thing and maybe we'll get access to that recording at some point and we can have some more specifics on this. But I think that the question that what we have brings up is still has still obviously yielded, I think, an interesting conversation so far. But in this quote, it says it's a moral duty to encourage and educate others to become vegan. But even in that, even that thing that sounds relatively specific, there's still a range. Like, is being the positive example in the workplace is that encouraging people and educating them to go vegan, even if it's kind of passive, does it mean that you have to leaflet or do pay-per-view activism? Or does it mean you actually have to go out and hold signs in front of a butcher shop? Like, what does that mean? Is it any and all of the above? Is there certain things that are required? Is it just making a Facebook post? Also the fact that, that, you can't find any other you couldn't find any other sources for this makes me worried that it was taken wildly out of context (laughs) and we're gonna get an email that's like no that's not how like what if it was just like someone asked what's your ideal of veganism and this is what was said because because again andy i would agree that 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 would be my ideal as well it's like i want people that are not only vegan but are passionate about encouraging other people to be vegan and again that that is like a wide there's a wide range of what that could mean there's a giant spectrum of what it means to be promoting veganism or uh, yeah to be promoting veganism but i would say that is the ideal and i i understand that not everyone can do that and i don't think that there any i paul do not think that they're any less vegan if they're not able to do that but I'm certainly that's the ideal. That's what I would hope. Yeah. Well, so Paul, this article says that they created this definition at the end of 2017. So it seems like it's more than just some off the cuff remark that this is actually, uh, Oh, and the article also says that the vegan flag organization has signed on to this. And so I think this is like a thing that they're actually trying to get going. Gotcha. So yeah, I mean, it is still, still vague and it's kind of like, okay, if you make one Facebook post a year, is that enough to keep you in the club? Do you have to make one every <laughs> month? Do you have to, you know, like maybe there's more of a strict definition somewhere, but I don't know. Like, so let, let's just say that doing very, very much the bare minimum of talking to a few people a year, it like meets those requirements. 
Do we think that including that into the definition would mean that less people go vegan because they won't want to have to do any form of activism? I don't know. And like, because, because when you say it like that, Andy, like, oh, people doing the bare minimum, doing their, their, their allotted three Facebook posts a year about veganism, that just makes it seem like people are going to be, people are like, oh, I know I need to do this. So I'm just going to phone it in now and be like, all right, here's my post, go vegan post done for the year. Like, I don't think that's how it would be because I don't think that there's anyone like going around. There would not be some organization going around literally Andy, the vegan police going around checking (laughs) to make sure that people are fulfilling their allotted vegan duties. Like that wouldn't be a thing. So it's like this, I don't believe that this would be enforced at all. So on one hand, I don't, I really truly and honestly don't know how this would play out because on one hand I'm like, I think a lot of people just would not care about it. But on the other hand, I'm like, but would people be like, Oh, I guess I can't be vegan anymore. And then they'd go back to eating meat. Like, I don't, I don't know what would happen. I, I don't know if the pros would outweigh the cons or the cons would outweigh the pros. It's such like a, a different situation. Maybe it would literally have no impact and maybe Things would just keep going on as usual again, unless like some big vegan, I mean, unless some big mainstream media thing picked this up and broadcast it widely, in which case I feel like could this fuel the whole like, oh, those wild vegans at it again, like doing these, these do because it's like someone that's the average who is it? The average Jeff? Is that, is that our, yes, yes. The average Jeff that's, that's not politically minded, not like involved in any sort of social justice or something like that, not involved in activism. Are they going to see this thing? Are they going to see this thing that says like, Oh, if you want, like you want to be vegan, you have to do this thing. Like, I feel like that would definitely be a turn off to that type of person, the type of person that isn't interested in doing activism. Now, of course, Again, I think that everyone should get involved in in things that they are passionate about and, and helping to change the world. I, like, I truly believe that, but that's not to say that there aren't people that are just not interested in that at all. And I still want those people to be vegan, and I still want those people to not be contributing to other forms of oppression as well, even if they're not going to be active in those in those movements i feel like you've said this many times on the show before in in other semi-related conversations which is that if we want the whole world to go vegan not everyone will be a vegan activist yeah you know and and so that's almost how i feel is that like i don't expect everyone that goes vegan to become a vegan bodybuilder because having vegan bodybuilder representation might be good for the movement or you know like it, it feels like it's unrealistic to expect everyone to become an activist if it is very narrowly defined as being a certain type of activism. But I I would also Mm -hmm. imagine that most people by going vegan are engaging in some low level activism where they're answering questions with their friends. And so like, I'm assuming that is not enough for Ronnie and Tony here. And that like, they are looking for something more specific spending time on a Saturday afternoon out on the street, handing out leaflets and talking to people or, or something along those lines. So let me ask you this, Andy, 
if that's the moral imperative for veganism, shouldn't that be the imperative for other forms of social justice as well? Like, why would, why would veganism be different? Like if these people want to push this as the definition and they say, we want to create a vegan world and therefore it is everyone's duty now to participate in activism. And maybe, yes, like you said, maybe that's once a week, you have to go out and do some leafleting or do something like that. But if, if I would hope these people are also opposed to other forms of oppression, like racism or sexism or transphobia or homophobia or anything like that, shouldn't that extend to that as well? They couldn't, you also couldn't, couldn't, shouldn't they also be saying, well, we also want to create a world that's devoid of racism. So once a week, you should also be in addition to not being racist on your, on your day-to-day life, which people should not be, you also have to participate in anti-racism activities, activism. Yeah. I mean, it certainly would have implications for other, for other social justice movements and, and for those that are connecting the dots between all of them and saying that like, we can't get rid of one without the other. Like, yeah. What would the implication then be for vegans? Would it, would it mean that going out and fighting other isms aside from speciesism is seen as being a part of your vegan activism or is a separate thing or is, is, are the other isms all of a sudden less important or like, I'm not sure how that would all parse out. Because like, here's, here's the conversation that I see happening. Andy is the vegan person saying to someone else like, Oh, you're vegan. You have to be doing activism then. And then that person responds, are you racist? And the person says, no. And then that person says, okay, are you doing anti-racist activities? And the person says, uh, no, not really. Then that per- the first person is going to say, then heck no, I'm not going to do your, your veganism activism. If, if like, that's a great am point, I, Paul. am I drawing a, am I drawing like an okay parallel with this? Well, I don't know if it's a parallel, but I think it's sort of, you know, when, when people say, oh, vegans don't care about these other things, it would almost be like, def- <laughs> obviously we have plenty of proof of this already, but it would almost be like definitive proof of which things they care about more because they think that it's a moral imperative if you care about a certain thing that you must go out and be an activist for it but then you're not going out and being an activist for for something else, but you are for veganism, it's almost like definitive proof that they don't really care. And here's where we're maybe running into a collision, Andy, is because taking that in the other direction, you could say, yes, Paul, that is a great point. You are correct. We should be required to do activism to end speciesism and to end racism and to end sexism and to end everything else. But... I feel like no one can do that. Like, like there is not enough time in the week to be able to do all those things. And, and this is not to say in the slightest that we shouldn't try to do these things or that we shouldn't make sure that we're not participating in any other forms of oppression. But it's like, no one can do all of those things at once. Like, we can all, what we can do is we can make sure that we're not contributing to other forms of oppression. And when other movements say, hey, this is the thing that needs to be done, we can help make sure that that thing gets done. But I hope that I'm not being 
like negative when I say I don't think that anyone could do could fight for every single movement in an active activist type way. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's just realistic to say that we all have limited time and resources and we we don't all have 24 hours in a day to spend solely on activism. And it's also important for us to take care of ourselves and do what we got to do to survive in this horrible capitalist society. So so, I mean, I I agree with that. I, I agree with your assessment that basically we need to decide where can we best spend our time? What who can we be in? What avenue are we going to be the best activists? And then also making sure that we're educating ourselves to make sure that we're not oppressing others in our activism. And here's my conclusion, Andy. I'm about to I'm about to drop this microphone. This all being said, I think here's me making a definitive statement. I think that I now disagree with this new definition of veganism because there are other people in this world that are doing phenomenal work for ending racism and for ending sexism and for ending all these other all these other terrible forms of oppression and i think we could not go to those people who are spending the majority of their week fighting for these other issues we could not go to them and say hey you should be vegan but that's going to require you to spend time doing this thing. I think that would not only be unrealistic, but it would be in some ways maybe problematic to say you need to stop spending as much time on this thing and start spending more time on veganism. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I, I feel like the counter is that, OK, we'll grant you that, but the vast majority of people are not super activist activists for a lot of other causes. But even if they're not super activists, it's like I there are plenty of people who it's like this is their thing. Like this is their this is the movement that they most identify with. That's that's not necessarily veganism. And even if yes, even if they're not like devoting all of their time to it, if that other thing is like their identity, I think that they can still have that as their identity, but they're also, they also happen to be vegan. Veganism doesn't have to be like a big part of their identity. They might be some, someone that's, that's fighting against ableism or something like that. And that's like, that's their identity as an activist for that movement. They can still be vegan. I don't think they need to, I don't think we need to say, oh, but also you need to spend your time doing this other form of activism, even though like, this is the thing you're knowledgeable about. This is the thing that you're good at. This is the thing that you're fighting for. I think that would be unfair. Yeah. Yeah. No, fair enough. I, um, I think, I think I guess where I come down is basically, I don't think including this in the definition is useful, but I think that efforts to encourage people to become advocates for animals in whatever regard are important. And I think along with that, it's also important for us to reinforce the idea that there is not one type of activism. I know we just spent all this time trying to sort of define it, but I think that, and I've seen this in, in other people writing about veganism is not enough and we have to be active for the animals and people in those kinds of posts specifically saying a Facebook post is not enough. Talking to your friends and family is not enough. You must get out on the street rescue an animal, do an action, hold a sign, something of that nature. And I feel like we need to to confront that from 
certainly from an ableist perspective, because there's some people that just aren't capable of doing those things or doing them would be incredibly draining on them and make them incapable of doing other things that they need to survive and, and get through the day. And also that, you know, some people are just better at certain things. Like some people really don't like talking to strangers, but maybe they could hand out a leaflet or maybe they could, they could start a podcast or a, a vegan food blogger or whatever it might be. But anything like all of those things could easily fall under encouraging and educating other people to become vegan. Yeah, definitely. I definitely 100% agree with that, Andy. And I don't know, this this idea that vegan is not enough, it's not, it's not new. This is not like the first time that it's come up. I think in terms of activism, this is something that we've seen from <clears throat> a certain very problematic group that uh, I don't even feel like naming at this point, but that's like one of their big <laughs> things, that veganism is not the moral baseline activism is and that veganism sort of represents being passive and that if you truly want to help animals you have to get active but but their their definition of getting active does mean getting into the streets does mean actively disrupting areas where like out in public that it, it does not necessarily mean individually educating people on veganism or doing any other type of thing but it goes beyond that. Like I, I just in preparation for this, I just Googled it, veganism is not enough and sort of came, saw what came up. And a lot of people use that terminology. Like I was looking at, at health things and the health things were like veganism is not enough because from a health perspective, vegan doesn't necessarily mean healthy. And there's plenty of vegan foods that are not healthy and that like just advocating for veganism is not good enough. You have to be whole food plant-based or no oil or, or whatever it is. And then there's the environmental people who say veganism is not enough. And we've talked about this kind of stuff on the show before, but you know, veganism, mainstream veganism is practiced by most people, including you and I supports industrial agriculture. It not taking into account the needs of wild animals. Although this new definition did say that somewhere, including harm to their natural habitats, that is in that new definition, which was not included before. And, and so there are people that use the argument that like veganism is not enough for this issue. And so it's this kind of messaging that's used across the board to get people that are vegan to do another thing. And I don't know, I, I guess I, I understand it all, right? Because you feel like you've, you found someone that generally agrees with you and has a similar goal but you feel like they're not getting the full picture and that if you use the vegan is not enough message that you'll get them to take that extra step. But I also just worry that it overwhelms people that are new to the whole thing or people that are considering getting into veganism, feeling like they're never going to be able to do enough and just run screaming away instead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I agree with that, Andy. So, Paul, I, I think for me, my conclusion on this, as close as I can get to one, is that in regards to this, there is not necessarily one specific message that should be touted across all of the boards. You know, like I think people that are not yet vegan, I don't know if they need to be hearing veganism is not enough because it is so hard to get someone on board. But then I think that once you get someone on board with being vegan, that saying vegan is not enough could be helpful. But if that's like the only message you get out there, or if you change the definition of veganism to include these other things, then I don't know if it feels, 
situationally that it's not always the best thing. And so it makes me think about Vine Sanctuary, which is run by Patrice Jones. Vine is an acronym, and Patrice has said, you know, the acronym, if you are talking to someone who is not vegan, stands for vegan is the next evolution, right, which is about getting people to go vegan. But if it is someone that is vegan, then Vine stands for vegan is not enough, Hmm. which I think is pretty damn brilliant, pretty damn brilliant. And, and, And in the case of Vine Sanctuary, it's kind of saying that vegan is not enough because we do have to fight all these other forms of oppression. That's their version of what veganism is not enough, or at least a part of it. I don't want to put words into producer's mouth there, but you know, that that's sort of what I've gathered is the main gist of it. So I think that it's, it's smart to have that awareness that different messages are appropriate for different people at different points in their progression. Andy, I have a question for you. Lay it on me. Do you feel that, so since we've done an episode that was all about guilt versus shame and how research has found that oftentimes shaming someone is counterproductive and and makes them not do the thing that you're trying to shame them into doing, do you think that someone that maybe like doesn't have a lot of free time for like maybe they need to, like they work a job that, that requires them to put all their energy into this and all their uh, most of their time into it and then like they're vegan because they're like oh this is what i believe is the true and ethical thing to do but then they hear something like this which is like oh you are you also need to be doing this other thing you also need to be performing an activism do you think that like i guess i am worried that that could instill shame in the person which would drive them which could drive them away from veganism and at the at the very least make them not want to participate in activism because they're like i can't do this thing and this person's saying that now i'm not vegan because i i'm not doing this thing does that do you think that that is a possibility well i think that just reinforces the need for us to validate many forms of activism to not just prize people going out and doing a cue of truth or some big flashy pat on the back activism, you know, that the smaller, less glamorous things like just engaging with people online or making a post or starting a petition or whatever it might be, showing your support to other activists in a number of ways, that all of those things count as activism. And it doesn't mean leaving your house or doing getting your feet on the street or whatever. You know, I, I think we need to address the ableism in this idea that only a few certain types of very visible outside your house activism are valid. And then I think we need to make space for people who just straight up, whether it's due to ability or their, their time that they have or whatever it might be straight up, don't have space or time in their life to engage in that activism to validate that as well. And that's, and that's why I feel like including it in the, the very definition unless you include all those little caveats that I was just saying, and maybe a couple others that ultimately it's going to drive away more people than it's going to bring in. And I don't think it'll spur a ton of people to get active that aren't already active. I think I agree with you about that, Andy. Well, I guess in that case, let's leave it there. I'm sure there's a ton of points that we missed. We would love, 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 love to hear from all the beardos on this. So you can send us an email to, thebeardedvegans at gmail.com let us know what you think you can always send in those mailbag questions because that's coming up in two episodes and make sure you leave those itunes reviews so 
get a couple winners of anyone who's left an iTunes review, win a free button and sticker at random in two episodes. Heck yeah. Andy, can't wait to turn on the AC. I know you're you're sweating. I'm sweating. I got guarding chicken <laughs> tenders waiting for me. Before before anyone emails in, yes, we know they're called crispy tenders and not chicken tenders. <laughs> before the Cattleman's Society emails in. <laughs> so let's wrap this one up. Uh, Andy, what do you got coming up? Yeah, coming right up. September 15th, Paul and I are going to be at DC VegFest in Washington, DC. And then two weeks after that, both of us will be at the Vegandale Food and Drink Festival in New York, New York on Randall's Island. So come on out, look for the bright green tablecloth and the unicorn t-shirts. And I got a ton of events all the way through till mid-November at this point. So you can go to CompassionCo.com for all those dates, seeds, and links. And yes, find us behind the Compassion Company table. Don't just look for a bright green tablecloth because I'm sure there's <laughs> probably a few at the vegan festival. But yeah, come say what's up, Beardo. Hook you up with a button and or sticker, depending on what we have on hand. And give you a little shout out on the podcast. And maybe we'll say, Beardo, what's up? I feel like if we're both there, I'll feel more encouraged to actually say it. Power in numbers. Yes. And also if it's someone that really enthusiastically is like, what's up, Beardo? You know, not just someone's like, hey, I listen to the podcast. You know, like it has to be so enthusiastic and that'll make me really want to reciprocate it. But you know what? Sh- shy Beardos also accepted. We love the Shy Beardos. I mean, th- there's been people that come up and have bought Beard Vegan shirts for me and don't say anything about the podcast. I'm like, do you like the podcast? What's going on here? Like, well, you know, what's up? I mean, I'm the same way. I'm the same way. I would just like buy a shirt and like <laughs> slink off and not say anything to anyone. So no shade, no shade, no shade, no, no shame. Shade. So, but yeah, say hi. If you want that, if you want that free sticker, because you can't buy those stickers anywhere. We, we only give them out to people. So yeah. our next sticker, no shade, no shame. <laughs> yeah i think so, a few people have asked us if we'll if we'll make a what's up beardo sticker which i feel like would be really confusing to people but maybe that'd be fun to make yeah i feel like it would be in like the yo mtv raps like wacky 90s font what's oh, up paul. beardo paul that is you can't see it i just did a jelly kiss <laughs> <laughs> Well, this episode has given me a few ideas, Paul, and I think the one that I most want to pursue is start a campaign, start a petition to to legally change the definition of veganism to include the requirement that every night before you go to bed, you must text all of your loved ones the following seven words. We are the Bearded Vegans, signing off. recording um yes i am now recording oh before i forget i also have to tell you paul mm-hmm. that for the first time ever i made it in and out of an rei without a single employee asking me if i needed help because where i record <laughs> is directly below an rei so i was just running there to go to the bathroom before we record and yeah I, if it's like a game of like pac-man <laughs> avoiding <laughs> the employees and i finally did it and at the, the last second as i was leaving i was like going through the middle of the store like weaving through like backpacks and an employee was coming straight at me i was like oh no here it comes and then the employee just turned and then didn't say anything to me and it was, it was oh great my god moment. congratulations thank you okay all right. all right let's do it so this is a message from their website titled introducing the oh live or live Ooh, that's a good question i bet you could go either way all right
All right, let's move on to this last one, Andy. It's two more. Is that? Oh, yeah. Do you want to hit us with this next one? I sure don't. Do you want me to hit you with this next one? I sure do. All right. So this is from NewYorkTimes.org. Before we do that, Paul, you know what we got to do? We got to thank some Patreons. (laughs) Thanks some Patreons. Thank you, Patreon, the website. Well, did I just cut you off? (laughs) I just said, what what spurred this question to use a non-vegan term? Okay. You want to say it again? Nah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Is that crickets in the background? Yeah, I I have the door open right now. (laughs) Okay. I'm I'm recording it so I can play it in the background whenever you tell a joke. (laughs) Harsh. So I think a counterexample to what I just claimed might be activism, which I I wasn't even saying that that necessarily was. It was just like I was like, hmm, maybe this could be. But I don't know why I'm whatever. In general, it's important for people. Can you hear that mosquito flying by my microphone? We are the Bearded Vegans signing off. I feel like there's a lot of petitions going around making people say we are the bearded vegan sign. <laughs> Can I say something about that? No. Oh. Say it anyway. Okay. So <laughs> I'll say it, but you won't listen to it. Paul, I'm laughing at how casually you are laying right now. <laughs> Just having a good conversation with my bud Andy.